Well, we've been blessed over the years to have Tom Harmon come and minister to us God's Word. I don't know how many times, about every two years for the last however how many years. And I could give a long introduction this morning and steal his preaching time. I don't want to do that. God bless you, Tom, as you come and open the Word of God to us. Good music. Praise the Lord. Good songs. and It's good to be here, isn't it? Better than being in an ER. Would you agree with that? Okay. I'm glad to be here. We made her. <laughs> Brother Ron said, I drove and Joyce prayed. She really drove. I sat behind the wheel. I held it, but she drove. How many of you know what I just said? <laughs> Some of you got that. Some of that. What I, how many of you have help? Never mind. Okay. Not really. Joyce does it. She's so good about that. Uh, I think 11 years in the department, I drove in every kind of weather imaginable in a patrol car. But it's different now. Some of you think on that. As you get older, things change. Anybody want to say amen to that? You used to pay no attention to weather. I pay attention now, so we prayed our way here. It's good to be here. Um, it's good to be with you. It really is. Uh, and let's just dive right in. I'm going to be speaking on Daniel this week. Uh, last year, I had a hard start. I felt like God was saying, to, I said, what am I going to do? Okay, next year will be our last year of itinerant preaching. Not preaching, but what we've been doing for 30 years. This is our 30th year of being an itinerant preacher. We've been in North Carolina this year, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. We have to be in New York and West Virginia again and Arkansas. Uh, we're not going to do that anymore. As, as we felt like God is saying, step aside before you are set aside. Never mind. Some of you think on that. You're not there yet, but you will be hanging around, okay? And so we feel like that's our, and it's, it's a transition. It just is. Uh, some of you have done for so many years, and a change. To everything, there's a season. Come on, would you agree with that? A time for every purpose under heaven. You may not think ch things change. That's the only constant in your life is change. Would you agree with that? Everything changes. This used to be up here. There's a change. Would you agree with that? Things change, okay? Just all does. And that's okay. We need to thank God for those things and move in that direction as the Lord's leading. And so that's what we're... Anyway, last year I felt like, how do we... What do you want us to do? What do I study? I've preached a number of different places in the Bible. And I felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to, because Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14 and verse 20 say exactly the same thing. When Ezekiel is prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem, of Israel, he said, except, and God says, I'm not changing. I'm, they're going to be judged. I've sent my prophets, I've, and they have mocked them. They have killed them. And he says, I'm going to judge them. And he said, except for Noah, Daniel, and Job, those three men are the only, be, they would be the only survivors in this judgment. Oh, the rest of them's going. Have you know, Noah, Daniel, and Job are kind of big hitters. Do you know what I mean by that? These guys know God, okay? And so he, God makes that comment about him. So I felt like the Lord was saying, study these guys. I, I've, Noah's been in sermons. Daniel's been in sermons. I've always kind of, been kind of fearful of Daniel because of the mysteries and I believe that Israel is the key to unlocking those prophetic mysteries and keep your eye on Israel right now, I tell you. I, okay, never mind. And then Job, okay. I've spoke on them, but I've never done a, a intensive study. So when I'm in places like this, now next week I won't preach on that. I'm in a men's retreat, and I, I feel the Lord leading me in another direction. 
But uh, in church meetings like this, this, this is something I want to do is preach on um, Daniel. And I am enjoying it. You'd probably say, I've still got a lot to learn. How about that, okay? <laughs> There's a lot we don't know. I, I don't know in my study of this, but I'm enjoying that study. Last year I spoke on Noah. And I had jumped in, obviously, Genesis chapter, what is it, about 6. It says, uh, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I, you know, everything else is, how you know, these guys have something in common. God is speaking judgment. How of you know the first judgment was the earth, the earth is going to be flooded? Come on, nod your head or something. Say amen. So help me with that. That's what he's going to do. Daniel is talking about judgment. Judgment Israel. So what's going to happen? The Gentile nations. The, we're in the ten toes of this thing. And Job actually makes reference to the day when he will see his Redeemer. At the last day. That's the end. When this thing as we know here ends and the last age begins. The one that's eternal. And uh, I'm going to give you a real quick on Noah. Just something to ponder. And then we're going to jump into Daniel. In Genesis chapter 6 and about verse 9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. And I got a whole sermon on the generations of Noah because that's what he does. He just goes down through his generations and he jumps into this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. If you look up the word walk, it means this. To continue to move slowly one step at a time. How do you know that metaphor is used all throughout Scripture describing our journey of faith? Would you agree with that? We're supposed to walk by faith. Say Amen. Uh, we don't always do it. We like sight. Would you agree? But nonetheless, we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. Um, Paul just uses that metaphor again and again. As you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk ye in him. That, that, to continue to move slowly one step at a time. Um, I asked this question, and I want to leave it to you just to ponder with regard to Noah, just this thought, okay? Because this is where I was at last year, or at least this was one of about the seven messages that I ended up preaching about Noah. And it says this, Noah walked with God. Is it possible to walk with God and then to stop? Now, don't answer. Just think. Is it possible to walk with God and then just stop? And God says, come on. And you say, no, I like it here. You go on if you want to. But I like my church. I like, my, I like where my family's at right now. I like my job. I, I'm just going to stay right here. Is that possible? Don't answer. Just think. You, you need to ask these kind of questions. Is it possible to walk with God and then just stop? I can tell you this, if it is possible, how do you know that if you stop walking with God and God says, come on, how do you know the currents of the world you live in will not pull you back to God, but only further from him? Say amen to that. Would you agree with that? The world is no friend to help us in our walk with God. The world we live in, we're in and not supposed to be of and that kind of stuff. Question number two, is it possible to walk with God and then walk away? Just walk away from God. In that message, I talk about three guys. There's a number of them. But they all begin with S, and they're all Old Testament figures. Romans 15, 4 said, For whatever things were written in earlier time were written for our learning, that we through patience. He's writing to the church and saying, There's a lot you can learn about your Christian living present tense from them Old Testament saints. Would you agree with that? You don't throw your Old Testament to the wind just because you're living in the church age, okay? There's a lot of things. In, so is it possible? So you take a look at the, the first guy's name was Saul. Did Saul ever walk with God? I think he did. Man, I tell you, it said when he was little in his own eyes, God said, there, there's my man. How do you know that God chose Saul? Would you be the first king over Israel? And if you look at his life, that guy walked with God for a time. But how do you know how he ended up consulting the witch of Endor? I mean, what a mess of his life. Next one is Samson. Is it Samson? No, God. How do you know God kind of chose him? Would you agree with that? 
I mean, from his mother. There's only two perpetual Nazarites in the whole Bible, him and John the Baptist. That's good company. Would you agree? Did he, did Samson ever, can I tell you something? God did things in Samson's life that he'll never do in the end of our lives because he manifested his presence and his power in a physical manner. How have you had at least one time in your life you wish you had that kind of strength? Why jack the car up? Just hold it up, okay? <laughs> Just think about it. This guy knew God. No, no question about it. Do you know how he ended? Have you ever read his last prayer? Oh, Lord, remember me only this once and hear me. He said, and let me die. He's suicidal. He's, he's been brought into the temple of Dagon. He asked the little boy who leads him in, chain around his neck, chain. He says, lead me to the pillars upon which the house stands. And he puts his hand there, and he puts his other hand here. And the crowd is jeering and mocking him and his God. And his last prayer is just, let me die with the Philistines. Just remember me one of this one. So God, just remember me. Give me the strength one more time. And he dies that way. You see, well, you don't even, how could that guy be saved? You better go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look in there. And his name is mentioned in the heroes of faith. What are you going to do with this? See, I think these kind of questions will jerk us around and let us know what we really understand about the gospel of which we just sang. What, what embrace do you have of the gospel? Solomon was a man that knew God. And if you don't think so, it says he loved the Lord his God with all his heart and walked in the ways of David his father at one time in his life. You ever read his prayer? at the dedication of the temple? Whew. He said, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house, which could have fit very neatly within the one, one of the wonders of the world. Everything in it was overlaid with gold. Everything. I mean, he made silver and gold as common as stones in Jerusalem. Can I tell you something? There was a man who knew God. Have you read the end of that guy's life? You're talking about walking away from God. He died worshiping idols in the temples of his foreign wives, and God was not pleased with him. See, these kind of things sober me as I look at our lives or where we're at in our journey. Because that's near the end of them old boys' lives. It's not when they were young and when they were walking with God. It's when they got older, they drifted. How even you know all you have to do is shift into neutral and you will go away. Would you agree with that? If we are not pressing on, we will drift away. Is it possible... Now, you already know my position on that. Third question, is it possible to walk with God and walk against Him at some time? I think it's okay to wrestle with God. I struggle with this one some. I don't think it's good to wrestle against God. Wrestle with Him. David wrestled, excuse me, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. He said, I will not let you go till you bless me. Wrestling against him. See, and you have too. You've been in ministry long enough. You know of pastors that at one time walk with God and fill that pulpit and preach circles better. Preach circles around you. Me too. That God used in my life for good that are now against God. Missionaries, evangelists. It bothers me. Is it possible? It says that Noah walked with God. The word walk means to continue to move slowly one step at a time. How do you know that if you live another five years, there'll be another step, at least one? Would you agree with that? <laughs> There's going to be at least one more step. Just the best gift you can give your family is to finish well and just keep on walking with God. Don't stop. Don't walk away. I think it's possible. Don't walk against. None of that was in my message this morning. Why I got off on that, I have no idea, okay? 
I do want to give us now, let's switch gears. I want to give you a memory challenge. How do you know I normally do that? I'll give you some scripture to say, strap this on this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Today, look at this scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Why do you do this? Joyce and I have in the past few years chosen one verse a year to memorize and meditate on and kind of give us a a trajectory, something to shoot at and say, let's look at that. Uh, Two years ago, it was Psalms 27, 14, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen our heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. God was telling us that year to slow down. It was the year just prior to that we chose to design a five-year plan of which we have a year and a half left of. How of you know if you shoot at nothing, you'll hit it every year? Hey, where do you want to be in five years? That's what we said to ourselves. Where do you want to be in five years from now? Okay. And now we're three and a half years into that, okay? And one of the things are we said, let's have a verse that will help guide us and keep us on track so that we don't wander. And it was, wait on the Lord, slow down. I've been in a hurry my entire life. I'm a good American. Say amen, please. America is traveling at a pace they shouldn't be traveling at. Amen, Tom, good preaching. Thank you. Come on, help me. And you, how do you know life's going by fast enough without hurrying it? Do you know what your children, you know what people that, that know and love you really want from you? They want your unhurried time. Unhurried. I've always fit the people I love into this project mentality and racing. So God was saying to slow down, and it's taking us some time, but we're learning that. How do you know that Jesus was never in a hurry? He tells one guy in Scripture to do something quickly. Judas. I, never mind, you're not getting it. Let's move on. <laughs> Last year, our memory verse was 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Joyce and I realize we miss our opportunities to witness. How have you ever had an opportunity God gives you, and you, when, when it's over and the person is left, you think of the perfect things you could have said. Any of you ever been there? That, that guy, how have you know we should be A-gaming it? We get opportunities. How do you know people are opportunities to share with them their maker, their hope of salvation? And we tuned up. We started carrying more tracks with us and tried to sometimes initiate or not miss those opportunities and to be bold to speak about Christ. That helped us. We're, okay, that was last year. That's still benefiting us today. Usually things when you shoot at a year, it begins to materialize a year, two and a half, something like that later. This year, our memory challenge for each other is Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Here's that word again, walk. If you know where Ephesians 5 at is in the gospel, the depravity of man, the glorious gospel, then here's what it looks like. I beseech you, therefore, uh, as, no, as a soldier of Jesus Christ. That's not what it was. He, he says, here's the walk. That's Ephesians chapter 4. He's just continuing on. These things should characterize a person who says they put their faith in Jesus. These things should characterize it. And he says, see, then you walk circumspectly, not as fools. Is it possible for a Christian to walk like a fool? Why would he say that? He said, don't, how do you know he's not writing the Chamber of Commerce? He's writing the church at Ephesus. And he said, don't live like a fool. Why? Because it's possible as a Christian to live like a fool. Come on, would you agree with that? How many of you will admit, since you've trusted Christ, you've made at least one foolish move? Come on. How many of you wished you hadn't? It's just part of the journey. But that shouldn't be what characterizes me. What a circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, as a wise person, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So that's just the memory challenge I want to hand out to you. Okay. 
Ephesians chapter 5, 15 to 16. You work on that. Look at that today, maybe tomorrow. They're not that, they're not that difficult of verses. Now, lessons from the life of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 1. What time is this over, Ron? What time? You, okay. Listen fast. <laughs> this is going to be introductory, but nonetheless, if we can get through verse 1, we'll have done something, okay? Um, the title of this message would be Daniel's Moment in Time. How do you know that nobody chose their parents? Come on. Nobody chose their parents. Nobody chose the time you were born, the place you were born. How do you know? This is going to shock you. I'm glad you're sitting down. How do you know that nobody chose your gender? What I just said was countercultural. We've been taught just the opposite. But the truth is, God chooses that and then says, this is how that, per- this is how that gender is supposed to behave. Something has to be learned, okay? It's just plain how- to be a man, to be a woman, to be a godly woman. To be a godly man. Those things are learned. But your gender was chosen by God, and it was not a mistake. It was not an accident. I need to learn how to embrace that truth. It's just, don't let the culture dictate to you what is right and wrong. Let the Bible dictate to you what is right and wrong. Amen. Good preaching, Tom. Thank you. Come on. It's true. It's absolutely true. Now, Daniel didn't choose his moment in time, but nonetheless, this is the moment in time in which he was born. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, comma, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. That's all the farther we're going to go. The third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Israel, if you know anything, I haven't got time to do the history where they're scattered all over the place, but you still have Judah representing Israel, Benjamin, that small piece of land there. And they're running, basically, the remnant of the, the land. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, first world power, first monarch, absolute. There's never been another monarch like him. He didn't have to run things by the board. How many of you knew that? He just said it and it happened. He was brilliant. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute brilliant mind. He was a military genius. He was an architectural. The things he built, they were unbelievable. In fact, when the Medes and Persians took Babylon, they said, how can we do it without destroying the city? It is breathtaking. And that's how they took it, without hardly a shot fired, because of the beauty of it. And Nebuchadnezzar was the mind behind that. (laughs) The third year of the reign of Jehoiakim came king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. Jehoiakim. He was the second-born son of the last of the godly kings, Josiah. Josiah was the last of the godly kings. How many of you know Israel had some bad kings and had some good kings? If you looked at the history of Israel, had some good... Josiah's dad's name was Ammon. He was a wicked king. Do you know how he died? His servants, more than likely it was his bodyguards, conspired against him and killed him in his own house. They assassinated him. Josiah is going to take the place of his father at the age of eight. But can you imagine in your house your father being 
murdered and you happen to live in that house? How do you know that might affect your psyche a little? How do you think it might a little? Whoa. We haven't got time to paint all the pictures of this Jehoiakim that we're going to take a look at in just a moment. We're going to show, try to fit him, get a little bit of a fit where he's at in history. Because Daniel didn't choose the moment in which he was born. When was he conceived? He was conceived sometime during the reign of Josiah, probably around the last great Passover, or possibly during the finding of the scroll. But let me back up just one more. Ammon's father, Josiah's grandfather's name was Manasseh. Have you read anything about that guy? It said he caused and led Israel to sin more than any of the other kings before him. It's horrible. It just it did everything he could to eliminate the scriptures because the scriptures were convicting then and they are now. How do you know the desire to get scripture out of our schools and out of our government? There is a purpose behind it because it is convicting. It tells us the way we already know is true, but is written down in tables of stone. It's there for us. And so he tried to get rid of all this. Ammon, his son's horrible. And now young Josiah is the age of eight. The coronation happens. He has now been handed the baton. You're the new king of Israel. Eight years old. I can't find in Scripture the influences in his life that shaped him. But somehow he must have at least at eight looked over his shoulder at his father and grandfather and said, there's got to be something better than this. This can't be the way it's supposed to be. Because someone must have been feeding him. And we know that Jeremiah is a young prophet at this time. And he probably hears that old boy, that young prophet, preaching on the temple steps. I don't know, I just can't find in Scripture where it says this, this, this. We know certain kings had godly prophets just pour themselves. And while that godly prophet was alive influencing them, they did right things. I can't find that about <clears throat> Josiah. But somehow, it says at the age of 16, so eight years later, he's been king for eight years. And we know this, that Jeremiah has said, an appalling and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do at the end of it all? Here's this old prophet. He's not old. He's a younger prophet. He said, what is, when all said and done, what are you going to do at the end of it? You keep listening to lies, and you, keep, and you want it that way, and you keep disobeying God? When it comes to the end, what's it going to be like? Maybe, maybe young Josiah heard him preach that sermon. Maybe he heard him preach. He said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water. You know who that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the New Testament version of the spring, the well springing up in us into life everlasting. And they have hewn out cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. The Holy Spirit's not living in that. It's the same, the age-old conflict of we try to make God in our own image. We try to make God like us to accommodate us. I even know that He is God. Would you agree with that? And God alone. He's the one who determines and speaks the truth. I don't know. I, I can't find out exactly, but we know somehow at the age of 16 it says, Josiah began to seek the Lord God of his fathers. He began to seek the Lord. Anybody here 16, 15, 16? Huh. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Don't wait till you're a wore-out old person like me before you start to seek the Lord. Somebody say amen, please. Don't wait. Start while you're young. The younger the better. Say amen. 
Old Josiah began to seek the Lord on his own. How do you know there comes a time in every young person's life, even if they're brought up in a good, godly Christian home and they've embraced the Lord through faith and those kind of things, you can't help it but live off your parents' faith for a while. But eventually, and it's usually around in our own children's lives, around 15, 16 years old, that they began to have faith for themselves because that's what you've got to live off. How do you know you don't make it to heaven on somebody else's faith? Come on. You've got to make them choices on your own. And he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to begin to seek the Lord. You begin to seek. Don't say, I've got to be 21 before I start to do that. You know what happens? Something between 16 and 20 happened in Josiah's life. He says, what I'm finding out about the Lord is going to translate, I need to do something. You know what he begins? They're called sweeping reforms in Israel. You know what he does? He opens up the temple again. Do you know who his father had clo- and grandfather had closed the doors to the temple? No more going in there. They did everything they could to get rid of scriptures. You know what he does? He opens up and says, we are going to start temple worship again. He begins at that time to plan the last great Passover of which he finances most all of it. And he's going to invite people from the ten northern tribes come to Jerusalem and worship the Lord again. The temple is open. They begin to replace. Do you, do you realize the opposition this 20-year-old is going to face by getting rid of old false prophets and false priests and replacing them with true priests and true prophets of God? How do you know that in America right now, we may think things are in a season of reprieve. Can I tell you evil is in the wings and given its first opportunity will show its head? Would any of you agree with that? And it ain't any different in Israel's day. It's going to come on. And he says, we're going to make some changes. And all of that is, it's so difficult to deal with those things. And he says, we're going to do her. At the age of 21, when the renovation of the temple is taking place, a young priest by the name of Hilkiah, this is, this is a big deal. This is a real big deal. A young priest by the name of Hilkiah is down. There are all kinds of hidden things under the temple, Solomon's temple. They had places they hid things in case they were ever besieged or anything like this. They could take their treasures and hide them in places that couldn't be found. And he's down nosing around. Is anybody ever pilfered your grandparents' attic and enjoyed it and found things that you thought were treasures that may not have been a big deal, but you, we did. My grandma had a huge old farmhouse, and everything that they thought they might need someday went to the attic, okay? How have you been guilty of that one, okay? And we went up and started pilfering around as kids. We found some, found a thing that had five silver dollars in it one time. How you know that's a good, good find? Would you agree? And they didn't know it was in there. Oh, well, he was just kind of pushing in there. We're pilfering around. This priest is down there just looking around. Maybe he went to a clay, a clay jar like this. I wonder what's in here. Got himself a lamp. And he peels out this, and it's a scroll. It's scripture that some priest 30, 40, 50 years ago hid because Manasseh and Ammon are destroying all the scriptures they can find. And he takes it out. And he goes to a guy who's a scribe that makes his living writing scriptures. Is it Shapan the scribe? I think it is. Okay, and Shapan the scribe. He says, look what I found. What is this? Can you imagine not knowing what a scripture was? Can I tell you today, 
our son Brian is in public school after public school and there are kids that do not know what a Bible is. It's happened fast. Don't even know what a scripture is. And he takes it to Shepan and says, what is Shepan reads said, oh my soul. He says, this is the book of the law, possibly Deuteronomy. The one that has the blessings and the curses in it. Blessings if you obey, curses if you disobey God. And he reads something, he says, let's take it to the king. They take it to, to Josiah and they read it to him. It says he tears his garment. He humbles himself and trembles and says, go get the prophetess Huldah. And Huldah came in and they read the scroll in her presence and said, is this true? And she looked and said, Every word is true. Whew. See, if you're Israel and you've done everything wrong, how do you say they have been doing everything wrong? Would you agree with this? And God's going to judge them. He tells them, you can't do this and expect me to wink at it. I'm long-suffering, but there's a point when my spirit will no longer strive with man. And they're just terrified at this. And then God speaks to them through Jeremiah and says, not in your lifetime. Start doing right. You're on the right trajectory. Do right. Do right. This was the beginning of a big deal when they found the scroll. Remember what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah 15, 32, something like that. He says, thy words were found and I did eat them. He devoured. Can you imagine being a prophet and not having any written scripture? Thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now I got news for you. When that old boy starts to preach, he just wheels out the scroll and says, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. This is the words of Moses, the words of God through the pen of Moses. Wow. That's why I preach the word. I heard you say it. I heard Mark say it. You want to preach the word. Give him the word, man. That's where the power is at. The power is not in the style. Of pre- the power is in the word. Give him the word, man. You know what happened in November of 1947? This is a big deal because he plans now the great Passover and people come from all over the land. I believe that Danny, November 1947, a young Bedouin shepherd stoned into a cave at Quorum. He investigates and finds a clay pot, takes it off, and takes out a scroll, the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know what happened May 14th of 1948, just about six months later? A nation is born in a day. Israel declares its sovereignty. Eleven minutes later, USA President Truman endorses and acknowledges and says yes. And nations around the world domino to support this little fledgling nation of which they are surrounded by 300 to 1 Arab armies that are going to say, we're going to drive you into the sea. How do you know when God fights for a nation, it don't matter how outnumbered you are? Say amen to that. How do you know we're looking at nation to Israel today and the reason they're not attacked and strapped on because they know there is no fighting force in the world like Israel right now. Things happen when they fight that don't happen when other nations fight. Why? Because the fate of Jerusalem and Israel is not in the hands of any other nation or any other man. They're in the hands of God if you read this book. God's going to determine the outcome of Israel and of Jerusalem and he's doing it. 
Do you know their first item of business after they declared themselves a sovereign nation and had secured it? They went around the world because is what happened. These Dead Sea Scrolls are now in the antiquities market and they're going across Europe and they went and recovered them. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you'll see the scriptorium there. They have those scrolls. They got the word back. Their nation's history is written in that. The Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Moses, the whole deal. They've got it. It's interesting to me. Do you know that this May 14th, Israel will have been a nation for 70 years? On that date, did you know that our president said 36 hours before he's going to sign the waiver and say, no, we're going to leave the embassy, the American embassy in Tel Aviv. 36 hours before, he says, if I don't do it, the world will explode. You can't do this. Something happened in that 36 hours, and he signed it and says, we're moving it. December 6th last year, he said, we're moving it. You know when it moves officially? May 14th, 1948. Isn't that interesting? For the first time in U.S. history, there is a permanent U.S. military base in southern Israel between Egypt and Israel. What a coincidence. You, you can take a look at the world right now and say, this baby's falling apart. You know what the truth is? It's falling into place. Nothing's going to happen that God said isn't going to happen. Oh, I'm enjoying this sermon. I wish you didn't have to go home. I heard that. Don't you wish you just had an audible voice from the Lord every once in a while? Well, I made her to hear. That's better than normal, okay? Ah, we'll pick up there tonight. <laughs> I hope you come back. It's supposed to be 60 and sunny this evening. <laughs> Is my nose growing? I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. I hope you invite some people. On Tuesday, we're preaching the message of the Bible. The message of Daniel is in two verses, Daniel 2, 44 and verse 45. That's what the Bible's about, okay, that message. The gospel will be clear, invite someone to come that may not be saved and needs to be saved. God's still saving people. He's going to do it right up to the end. Did you know that? His grace is still going to be sufficient. Well, I'll just try to pick up here tonight in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Uh, yeah, we'll pick up there tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we confess the only reason we do is because you first loved us. You took the initiative. You sought us. Oh, God, keep us in your good grace, uh, walking with you. Lord, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. God, we don't want to stop. We don't want you to just go on and us stand still, and we don't want to walk away. Or Surely, God, no one be here this morning that wanted to walk against you. We don't want to walk against you or your ways. We want to walk. We just continue in our journey of faith, moving slowly, not fast. You don't want us to run. Just to move slowly one step at a time. And then as we look at the man, Daniel, he didn't choose his moment in time, but he did choose to redeem it. And God, we can do that. We can redeem the time. The days are evil. They have been since the fall. God, help us to look unto Jesus. And as Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We want to trust you. It is a wonderful thing to have faith in the Lord Jesus. The one in whom the express image of God dwelt, the fullness of God dwelt. The mystery of the Trinity. We embrace you, that God, the only true God, and ask you to help us in our journey. 
We'll be careful to thank you and give you all the praise in the precious name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.